Welcome to the Connecticut Criminal Law Podcast, brought to you by Ruane Attorneys. The answers you need, the privacy you deserve. Each season tackles a different area of criminal law. Now, to your host, Jay Ruane. Hey, so I'm Jay Ruane, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Connecticut Criminal Law Podcast. And this season, we're going to focus all of our topics and all of our attention on domestic violence defense here in Connecticut. So in this episode one, let's talk about the charges in domestic violence cases and what each one means. Let's talk about misdemeanors and felonies. Let's talk about the basic outline of what you need to know if you've been charged with a domestic violence case. And first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony. Now, the majority of crimes charged in domestic violence cases are misdemeanors, and a misdemeanor is something very simple to understand. It's anything punishable by up to one year in jail, but nothing more, okay? A felony, on the other hand, is punishable by one or more years in jail. Now, you can get no years in jail on a felony, no years in jail on a misdemeanor, but that one-year mark is sort of a bright line defining what a crime is, either a misdemeanor or a felony. So let's talk about each one individually and what category it falls into. Now, the first and foremost case uh, of domestic violence is usually a charge of what's called assault in the third degree. This is the most common assault charge that's found in Connecticut. And the law on assault three is simply this. A person is guilty of assault in the third degree when, with intent to cause physical injury to another person, he or she causes such injury to that person or a third person. Or a person is guilty of assault in the third degree when you recklessly cause serious physical injury to another person, right? So there's two different ways you can do it. You can do it by intentionally hurting somebody else, or you could do it by recklessly causing serious physical injury to someone else. Now, assault in the third degree is an A misdemeanor, and it means that its maximum penalty is up to a year in jail. But just because you're charged with an A misdemeanor, just because you're charged with an assault three, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to jail. It just means that that is the maximum that a judge could impose. The next up is breach of peace, which is also a very common domestic violence charge. A person is guilty of breach of peace when, with the intent to cause inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm, or recklessly causing inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm. They either engage in fighting or violent or threatening behavior in a public place or assaults or strikes another person or threatens to commit any crime against another person. So let's talk about that. A couple things we got to unpack in that one. And I bring it up now in the context because we've already heard about what assault is. But if you listen to the definition of Risa Peach, it actually says that you can breach peace by assaulting or striking another person. And here's where the jackpot comes in, in domestic violence cases, and really in all criminal cases. Multiple crimes can fit the facts as set forth, which means that you could be charged not only with assault three, but you could be charged with breach of peace. Now, breach of peace unlike assault being an A misdemeanor, is a B misdemeanor. And this is how the police department can add multiple charges against you for the same conduct. Let's take it to the next one. Threatening is another charge that's very common in uh, domestic violence cases. And a person is guilty of threatening 
when by physical threat, such person intentionally or attempts to place another person in fear of imminent serious physical injury, or such person threatens to commit any crime of violence with the intent to terrorize another person. Now, one of the things you'll recognize from assault, from breach of peace, and from threatening is that oftentimes these definitions talk about intent, and that's something that the state has to prove in almost every criminal proceeding. They have to prove not only that you did something, but that you intended to do something, unless they charge reckless, because reckless, you don't have to actually intend to do something. Your actions can just be such that it happens. So you're looking for whether or not you intentionally did something or you recklessly did something, and there are two different ways to commit many offenses. Another one that's very common is disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct is a C misdemeanor. It's one of the lowest levels of misdemeanors. And a person is guilty of disorderly conduct with the intent, like we just talked about, to commit inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm, or recklessly causing that inconvenience, annoyance, annoyance or alarm. They engage in, guess what? Fighting or in violent behavior. Well, if you were fighting with somebody, you could be charged with disorderly conduct, you could also be charged with breach of peace. You could also be charged with assault in the third degree. Each and every one of those is something that you could be charged with in a domestic violence case. And depending on the police officer and depending on the police department, you could be charged with one, two, or all three of these. Other ways that you can charge, uh, be charged with disorderly conduct would be interfering with another person by offensive or disorderly conduct. Now, who defines what offensive is? Hmm. That would be the police department or the judge, or you're making unreasonable noise. So if you're outside and ex-spouses and you're honking your horn, trying to get their attention, you can be charged with disorderly conduct. Uh, so these are the types of things that you need to worry about, folks, because there is a lot of variability in each and every one of these charges. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is something called unlawful restraint. Unlawful restraint in the context of a domestic violence case is also a C misdemeanor. And as you see, a lot of these fall into the category of misdemeanors in the context of domestic violence. But a person is guilty of unlawful restraint when they simply restrain another person. So if you're in a fight with somebody and you could be charged with assault, and at some point you put your hands on them to stop them from attacking you, well, now you could be charged with unlawful restraint. Of course. Of course, you have the defense of self-defense, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be documented because in all my years of handling these cases, the police department only ever writes the bad stuff. They don't write the good stuff about you coming to your own defense. So it's something that you need to be aware of when you are thinking about how you're going to defend these cases. Another charge that is very common in domestic violence situation is something called harassment. Now, a person is guilty of harassment when by telephone he addresses or uses another uh, indecent language towards somebody else. So that's one thing that you could be charged with or by telegraph or mail or by electronically transmitting something by facsimile or by sending an email. You are sending something that's going to cause annoyance or alarm or you use a telephone or another digital product to communicate with somebody and they hear nothing. So if a call is made and you simply hang up, 
that can rise to the level of harassment. Harassment is a Class C misdemeanor, and it's definitely something that gets charged a lot of times with teenage domestic violence because they're not necessarily as aware uh, as an adult would be, and so they'll make multiple calls and then not connect. Uh, so that's something that you have to be aware about uh, if you are a parent. Now, we talked a little earlier about unlawful restraint being a C misdemeanor, um, but strangulation is something that actually takes it up to the next level. Uh, the basic actions are in Connecticut that prohibit what's called strangulation uh, are very similar, but there's actually three different levels of strangulation, uh, and some are felonies and some are misdemeanors, and I want to talk about each and every one of them. When one person acts against another to either choke or strangle the other, the offense is automatically a felony. But if it's done because of reckless movements, right, then the first offense would be a misdemeanor. So if you intentionally put your hands around somebody's neck, well, that would be a felony. But if in the course of a fight or a course of any sort of disagreement, your elbow or your forearm puts on somebody's neck, that could necessarily be reckless behavior, uh, and that could actually wind up being misdemeanor strangulation. Uh, but one of the things that you really have to worry about is the impact on the person who's considered the victim, because a victim uh, and their injuries are what's going to define how the case is going to be prosecuted, whether it be a felony or a, a misdemeanor. Because if a serious injury results or an instrument is used to cause the strangulation, it would certainly rise to the level of being a felony. Um, and it's a Class C felony. It's a pretty serious felony here in Connecticut. Uh, a Class C fel felony can be punished by up to 10 years in jail. And one of those years would be mandatory minimum. And so that's not a good thing. Second-degree strangulation is a Class D felony, which is punishable by up to five years in jail. And the third-degree misdemeanor is uh, a misdemeanor strangulation, and that is the most serious of all misdemeanors, punishable by up to one year in jail. And it also carries with it a fine. I'm not going to go into the fines because this is something that you can talk to us or whatever lawyer it is uh, that you speak to about your case. Now, a couple of the things that happen very frequently in domestic violence cases are the charges of burglary. Burglary is interesting because when people think of burglars, they think of the hand burglar, right? Somebody who's going in and trying to steal something. But burglary doesn't necessarily mean that you're breaking into some place to steal something. Burglary means that you enter a place and you either entered with an intent to do something or you remained with the intent to do something. So you could actually be in a house lawfully be invited in, and then things get out of hand and a fight ensues, well, you could be charged with burglary at that point because they're of the opinion that the minute the fighting happened, your license to stay in that house was revoked by the homeowner or the resident. So you could actually be charged with burglary without having gone into the house with any ill intent. Um, another charge that's very common in domestic violence cases is reckless endangerment. And actually, reckless endangerment and our next one that we're going to talk about, risk of injury, kind of go hand in hand. Let's talk about reckless endangerment first. Percy is guilty of reckless endangerment when, with indifference to human life, he or she recklessly engages in conduct which creates a risk of serious physical injury to another person. Now, that's an A misdemeanor, and it's very vague, right? We have to sort of unpack that and see what is it that, what kind of content, excuse me, what type of conduct is somebody acting that's causing a reckless opportunity for someone to be injured? Uh, 
Uh, and that could really be a wide variety of conduct. Um, what we do is we actually take it to the next level uh, and talk about what's called risk of injury. Now, risk of injury is a is sort of like a, a spinoff of reckless endangerment because reckless endangerment, you could recklessly endanger both an adult or a child. But there's also a separate statute called risk of injury to a minor. And in this context, we're going to talk about non-sexual in nature risk of injury to a minor. And risk of injury makes it a crime to place any child under the age of 16 in any situation where that child is at risk of life endangerment or injury to their health or moral impairment or to otherwise do anything likely to cause impairment to that child's health or morals. Wow, that's a mouthful, right? Well, risk of injury is a very, very broad very broad topic here. And the charges themselves can support pretty much any allegation if something is done in the area near or around anyone under 16. So if you have a fight with a spouse or a partner and their minor children are in the residence, it is likely that you will be charged with risk of injury. And here's the biggest problem. Risk of injury falls under the category of being a Class C felony, which means the maximum period of incarceration for risk of injury is 10 years, right? It's a felony, a felony. You get into a fight with your spouse, their kids are sleeping in the other room, you could be charged with a felony. And that's really disconcerting for a lot of people that are charged. And it's one of the reasons why risk of injury, as applied, can be legal, but as a broad statute could actually be unconstitutional. Uh, and there's case law to support that. That's why it's so important to have a dedicated criminal defense lawyer fighting on your behalf to make sure that you're not being offered things to resolve your case that are unconstitutional. Now, finally, the last thing to talk about in the context of a domestic violence charge is something called violation of a protective order. And we're going to talk about what protective orders are in a future episode. But for now, the you should understand that the violation of a protective order is a Class D felony, punishable by up to five years in jail. So if you are issued a protective order by a court in connection with your arraignment on charges for domestic violence, and then you violate that, you could violate that if you have a no contact order by texting them, calling them, stopping by the house driving behind them. There's a lot of ways that you can violate a protective order. So if you have a protective order that says you can have no contact, you must have no contact because if you are found in violation of that protective order, you are going to be subjected to up to five years in jail. And probably more importantly, judges get offended when you violate their order. And so you have to explain to them why you violated their order. And it could be a factor in you getting your bond raised on new charges or having your bond revoked on your underlying charges. And probably the thing that is very, very important to many of our listeners here is that if you have a criminal protective order hanging over your head during a domestic violence case, your arrest and that protective order will be recorded into a national law enforcement database, and you will be flagged whenever you are pulled over for any routine traffic stops or when you go through border checkpoints, right? So that means that that protective order is going to be available to any law enforcement anywhere in the country.
So it can be very embarrassing to be pulled over for speeding, have your kids in the car, and then they start asking you about the protective order that you had. That's why it's so important when you do have a domestic violence case to ask your lawyer to fight that protective order and ask for a Fernando A hearing. You'll be able to learn more about that in an upcoming episode of the Criminal Law Podcast. So those are the basic cases that you could be charged with, the different charges that are commonly found in Connecticut domestic violence cases. Stay tuned for more episodes where we talk about each and every one of the steps in the process of handling a Connecticut domestic violence case here in Connecticut. I'm Jay Ruane. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Criminal Law Podcast. For more information or to get a free consultation for your criminal law questions, visit us at RuaneAttorneys.com or call or text 203-925-9200.